This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is no joke, an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu there that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is that you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the braised beef bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh market bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the pot liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course, toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at 7 Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood and check out my interview with Meg from last season of the podcast to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen. I've always felt annoyed because I feel like I need a lot of self-care maintenance. But someone once told me, they're like, just think of yourself as a high performance vehicle. You know, you're like the Porsche. You need that really good fuel and you need the really good care. And, you know, it's yeah, kind of a pain, but it's a great thing too. So I have to always look at how to stay balanced. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Lizette Austin. Lizette is a travel coach, writer, and web designer who always loved to travel, but couldn't always afford the international trips she craved. So in 2012, she learned how to rack up millions of airline miles and hotel points using her regular household spending and credit card signup bonuses. Now she teaches others how to do the same through her Jet Set Lizette travel coaching business and her podcast, The Globetrotter Lounge. I wanted to know how Lizette managed her many professional pursuits while also making time for herself and for travel. We also talked about the childhood adventures that contributed to Lizette's passion for travel, Lizette's favorite food cities around the world, why Lizette thinks sleep is, quote, better than therapy, and Lizette's best tips for staying well while traveling, including one that might surprise you, and her number one tip for aspiring travel hackers. Enjoy the interview. Yeah. So I'm super excited to talk to you for a number of reasons, but the travel piece of it, as I was saying to you before we started recording, you know, I'm also a travel junkie and, you know, would love to be doing more of it. And, but I can very much relate to the the passion for travel, but I'm curious just to start with why is travel so important to you? Yeah. Good question. Um, you know, I kind of blame it on my parents a little bit because they really enjoyed traveling and I was very lucky. My father was a child psychiatrist. He was a doctor. So, you know, I grew up definitely middle class and I was also an only child. And so it was easy for them to take me places. And my dad would go to conferences and he would stay in nice hotels as part of the conferences. So I would go along on these adventures with my parents and really loved it. And to this day, still really love nice hotels. Couldn't afford travel in the same way once I got out of you know my parents' home and was a young adult. 
but I still had that passion for it. And we went to Europe, like the first time I went to Europe, I was four years old and I remember it a little bit. And I remember traveling to Mexico when I was eight, nine and 10. And I remember going to really interesting places and just, I wanted that to continue. And I, I love it because it's always such an adventure. I love new things. I love meeting new people. I love seeing new places. It's a way that I kind of recharge and get out of the routine, which I really need. I'm not someone, I, I don't like to do any one thing all the time, like day in, day out. So travels are the ultimate release for me where I'm really off my normal daily thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I think for me, I always say that I'm never more present than when I travel because, you know, when, you, when you're in unfamiliar surroundings, you know, you're forced into the present moment and it's such a relief to get yes. out of your head, right? Exactly. I, suddenly I'm just, yeah, free of the neuroses. I'm dealing with things as they come up instead of future tripping or thinking of the past. So yeah, it's, it is that way for me as well. Totally. Yeah. When did you decide to make travel part of your professional life, part of your business? Yeah. So I really hadn't foreseen that part of things. I'd always knew I would travel, you know, as long as I possibly could in my life. Knew that would be an integral part. But business side of things, that came up later. That really came as a result of when I figured out travel hacking and started racking up miles and points to a degree that blew my own self away. And then quickly, <laughs> my friends. And they were asking me things like, okay, wait a minute. Why are you flying all over the world multiple times in one year? Have you inherited some money? Did you strike it rich? What is going on? And I would say, well, it's crazy. I have like over a million miles and points. And they would say, are you kidding me? I don't know. How did you do that? Did you spend a ton of money? No. I just use my regular spending. So anyway, that led to basically, I got tired of trying to explain it to multiple people. So I said, can you guys all get in one room this weekend? And I will tell you all how I did this. And that happened. And then somebody missed that first little workshop. So they said, can you do that again? And I said, okay. So that happened. And then I just started getting all kinds of people emailing me saying, are you going to have another one of those workshops? Pretty soon I'm having quarterly workshops Then they're like every two months. And so from there, I just started realizing I was doing another business, which I kind of didn't really need in my life, like another <laughs> business, but it just kept rolling along. So that's how it started. Yeah. Well, and isn't that often how great businesses start, right? Like you just, you have this skill set that people want. You're like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What reasons do your clients and your friends, who you know, whoever was coming to you, what reasons did they give you for wanting to travel more? Well, I think kind of the reasons we were talking about, I think clearly the piece about traveling more cheaply was why they were coming to me. These are a lot of them were already people who love to travel. They wanted to take their family on vacations. They felt like they wanted to expose their kids to new experiences, but they couldn't see how they could afford it because now they had, you know, four people to fly to wherever instead of just themselves. That was a big piece of it. But people also just really wanted to be able to do it more often instead of viewing it as something that you have to save up for for a long time and then finally do it because they felt like sometimes it wouldn't happen, you know, like, oh, I'll save up and do it. And then it just year after year rolls by and they just wanted to get out there and see more of the world. Some of the people that came to me weren't big travelers yet, 
but most of them already loved travel, I think, for the reasons you and I had talked about, being more present, exploration, learning about other people, getting out of themselves, getting out of our country, getting new perspectives, you know, all of those things. Yeah, you know, I just, I always think about, I mean, it, travel is, um, it's sort of like cooking shows. Like, I feel like food and cooking shows and travel shows have, like, risen around, the, like, at the same pace. I don't know, maybe that's just my perspective because I'm interested in both of those things. And because I travel for the food, like, that's why I travel <laughs> in addition. <laughs> to what we were talking about. But I, you know, I I do wonder, and I'm curious about your perspective on this, like, what do you think is so inspiring about travel to people? Like, why is that something that we all aspire to do more of? I mean, aside from the things that we were just talking about, is there some other thread that you see there? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I can talk about one other piece for myself. Being someone who is mixed race, growing up in this country, this is just one example Growing up in Seattle, I don't know. I wasn't used to seeing a lot of people who looked like me in any one given situation. Like I'm a dancer. I would go to dance class. And, you know, I might be one of two brown people in the room. And that was fine. I grew up here. I'm used to that. That's how I operate. It's okay. When I first went to Brazil and I went to a dance class there and it was completely the reverse where there maybe was one non-brown person visiting from, you know, Kansas City, Missouri in the dance class and the rest of it, I fit in, I look like a Brazilian. Um, That kind of blew my mind in a way that I hadn't really experienced before. And so for me, there are times when travel is a, a way for me to step outside of some of the drama that comes up for me in this country and just step into another situation where I might feel ironically more comfortable. I'm not a Brazilian, you know, so you'd think I wouldn't feel comfortable. But for that moment, I get to try on or experience something else and be maybe someone else for a minute. So I don't know, that's something that inspires, it it brings, it sort of refreshes me and gives me a new perspective and helps me not just get maybe down on what's happening. I mean, I don't know what I'm saying, except for that it opens me up in a way that I didn't really anticipate. So that's one way that I feel like it inspires me to travel more because I want more of those experiences. And, you know, it's just inspiring to see new things. You know, when you, again, growing up here, Seattle history or architecturally, there's a lot of history here with the indigenous people who were here before, but that sort of like visually as you look around at the buildings and stuff like that, there's something so inspiring when you step into a country where they have, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history in their architecture and seeing beautiful art, you know, going to Barcelona and seeing Gaudi buildings and seeing the Sagrada Familia and standing in that building inspires my creativity in a way that I just don't get going down to QFC and buying eggs. You know what I'm saying? So like... (laughs) I want to go to those places. I want to see what people have created through the ages. And it gives me also that humility of like time passing by. And I'm just here for a moment and it helps me to not take my life for granted and you know recognize how short it is. So that's another thing that travel for me, it inspires me when I can look at history and see it going way back, which I can even do in this country. I was in Philadelphia recently going, wow, you know, oh yeah, the East Coast, they have history here, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I know. I grew up on the East Coast and I I often have these moments where I have to giggle a little bit when people here get excited about a house that was built in 1910. Exactly. (laughs) But hey, it's all relative, right? Europeans are laughing at us and (laughs) Yep. Yep. And the and the Europeans get inspired coming, you know, they drive to like the the southwest or they see the Grand Canyon and go, What? Because they don't have stuff like that there. And so, you know, it's all relative. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I have to ask you because one of my primary motivations for traveling is the food and experiencing cultures through their food. I'm dying to know what are your sort of top three places in the world to eat, whether those are cities or countries or even actual restaurants <laughs> or food trucks, yeah. food stalls. No, that's really interesting. I think it's going to be closely tied with, well, first of all, my husband is much more of a foodie than I am. Um, so he is really kind of particular. One of the things I'm going to say now he would disagree with because I'm not that particular really about food. I'm much more interested in, you know, the environment. However, I do love food. And for me, obviously Paris takes, you know, the winning prize. I also happen, Paris is my favorite city on earth. So that kind of goes together, but the food I've eaten in Paris just blows my mind. Um, even the most simple late night, oh, let's just stop off at this little corner restaurant. We don't even know. We haven't bothered to yelp it, you know, and was like, why is this soup this good? Or even the <laughs> salad dressings, you know, how did, how is salad this amazing? You know, I'm not that much of a salad fanatic, but in Paris, I feel like I am. So Paris, and then I would say Tokyo. We went to Tokyo in 2016, was it? I believe. Nope. 2017. And that was my first time in Japan. And I really enjoyed eating in Tokyo. Uh, the food was amazing. And also, I would say, I don't know, this is the one where my husband would disagree, but Brazil, you know, it doesn't have the flavors of say, like, I haven't been to Cuba, but you know, I imagine Cuban food, like just incredible flavors and all that. What I like about Brazilian food is the simplicity like it's all about these amazing fruits and the acai and it's hot, right? So you, the acai is amazing. Like drinking these fruit smoothies is just this wonderful experience. And also they have a moqueca, which is like a kind of curry, coconut milk. It almost kind of reminds me of Thai food, but it's not quite like that. But it has like bananas and shrimp and this is very flavorful stew. I don't know if you've had it. Yeah, um, no, I haven't. I don't know. Yeah. And then you're eating this on the beach in this remote island. You know, it's sort of the food combined with the backdrop that I love. But, you know, my husband's like, Ugh, Brazilian food is a little bit too bland, you know, <laughs> but I guess I just... <laughs> Well, and you make an interesting point. I do, you know, think that actually I don't think there's research to back this up that the, you know, the way that we experience food to a very large degree does have to do with the environment in which we're eating it. So I think that that's, you know, I sometimes wonder, like you were saying about the salad in Paris, like I wonder if that actually might have more to do with the fact that you're sitting <laughs> at a cafe in Paris. <laughs> right. I do love Paris. Right. No, but I really think that, you know, you can get average food in Paris for sure, but there is something special going on there. And it might be, you know, the fact that they really care about, yeah. they really yeah. care about food. I love how they're so present about food and eating. Oh, I have to throw any step top three, but I have to throw in a mention for Portugal recently was there a couple months ago. I also dipped into Portugal four years ago and went to Faro and ate the most amazing honey chicken, like honey sauce on chicken and just kind of oh, lost my mind. Um, so Portugal, another great country. With All right. Great good, good to know that. Yeah, I haven't been there either. I'm curious, given your, you know, you have your travel business and then you also have a web design business. You know, you're obviously very busy. And as you said, you like to do lots of different things, but how do you do that, all of those things, and then also make time for yourself and your family and your friends and travel and everything else. 
Yeah, that's a very good question because I have always done a million things. In fact, not only do I have a web design business and now this growing travel coaching business, I also work part-time. Right now, I'm a grant writer. I've always been a writer kind of slash creative person. So I've um, used to work for the University of Washington. Now I work for a local tribal community doing grant writing. So I actually do that part-time and then have a web design business and have a travel coaching business. I did just do freelance recently during this year, but decided to go back to getting that paycheck for my family because my husband is also a freelancer and that was just a few too many freelancers in the family. (laughs) (laughs) Need some benefits, those kinds of things. But I've always loved having a side hustle. I think that's the term these days, get a side hustle. I've always had a side hustle. I think I mentioned earlier in this interview that I don't really like doing one thing all the time. So the beauty of how I've set up my life is that I get to be flexible and I do lots of different things. The downside is I can sometimes get really confused and like freaked out because I'll have all these threads going at the same time. So what I try to do is, well, and honestly, the the travel coaching um, is kind of taking off right now. So I'm probably going to do less of the web design for a while and allow this travel coaching to grow. I do have to look at balance all the time. I cannot do it all. And so I'm really careful of that. And I try to do work that I can also work at home and be flexible and uh, just be able to work hard on certain projects when I need to and, and flex my time around. And so I'm very fortunate, but that's been a very big goal in my life. And in fact, it's very tied with my travel passion. So I guess how I do it is I... I'm working at it. It's not a perfect system. I'm kind of reimagining or reprioritizing right now in my life this last month or two of how this is going to work because I cannot drive myself to the ground. I'm not going to go a complete workaholic route that does not work for me. I've always felt annoyed because I feel like I need a lot of self-care maintenance. But someone once told me, they're like, just think of yourself as a high-performance uh, vehicle. You know, you're like the Porsche. <laughs> You need that really good fuel and you need the really good care. And, you know, it's kind of a pain, but it's a great thing too. So I have to always look at how to stay balanced. Well, and what does that look like for you? So what are those things that you need, the sort of your your non-negotiables as it were around self-care in order to be able to perform the way you want to perform? Well, I really need to get enough rest that is also where I struggle the most, but I really need to get enough rest. If I don't get enough rest, there's just sort of no point, you know, everything gets more difficult. I get more overwhelmed. I feel, you know, I can have the same amount of tasks, but I just don't even know where, where to start and that kind of thing. So getting enough rest. And if that starts to get off balance, I have to like really pause and go, wait a minute, this is, this isn't going to last. I can't continue like this, you know? So, um, and that means I've done things like, you know, made sure that I'm not answering emails late at night. That's really hard. I mean, I'm a night owl too. So I would sometimes rather be answering emails late at night. You know, like that's kind of what I want to do, but I'm trying to turn off my computer and go to bed and, you know, those kinds of things. That's, that really has to take the forefront. Another one is, you know, getting exercised. I'm a dancer. I love to dance. So that is usually my preferred form of exercise. And um, I can't always make it to dance classes the way I'd like to due to my schedule. And I also have a teenage son, so and I need to be present for him. And it's 
you know, there's some challenges that come along at every stage with parenting, right? And you think, oh, this stage will be easy. And then there's something you're like, nope, okay, we gotta, gotta readjust my schedule, gotta be home, you know? So with dancing, I actually am very lucky. We refied our house and my husband, who used to be a carpenter, helped build a dance studio in the backyard. That's kind oh, of an wow. extreme way to deal with this, but That's I great. have a place to go and work out and dance in my backyard. But, you know, that is a very lucky thing that I was able to do. But typically I used to just work out in my living room or go for a walk with the dog. So I try to make time to move and exercise. Yeah, those are kind of the biggest ones, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Sleep and exercise. Yeah. I mean, I sleep. I always tell people if they don't get anything else sorted out, like once you get that figured out, everything else sort of falls into place is the way I see it. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've even said to people like, wait a minute, I don't think I need therapy. I just need sleep. Like, you know, <laughs> like those nights that you really get like eight and a half hours or eight hours of sleep and you're like, was I upset yesterday? I don't know why. I, everything's fine. You know? Totally. Yes. That's hilarious. That's totally true. I mean, we often don't realize the effect that it has on us to be even slightly sleep deprived. Um, and I think obviously like, you know, for me, at least as I get older, that's more of a, even more yes. of a noticeable thing. Yes. I mean, even like a half hour difference can yep. change things for sure. One thing I've really noticed that's almost surprised me is being a night owl my entire life, uh, I now see, though, that if I go to bed even 10 minutes before midnight, now, for some people, they're going to hear this and say, are you talking about midnight as a cutoff? Like, I know I have friends who go to bed at 10 and 10.30 and 11. But for me, I tend to go past midnight. So my natural state is 1, 1.30, that kind of thing. So if I go to bed, though, even like 11.30, and I sleep even less hours, I sleep seven hours, I feel incredibly rested. If I go to bed at 12.30 for eight hours, I don't feel as good. Mm, as less hours. So the circadian rhythms or whatever, like yeah. there is an actual line. And I think a lot of people have that line and they have to figure out where that is, where it's, it's, it could be just a half hour earlier and my sleep quality dramatically improves. So I'm trying to figure that out too. Like, okay, this does matter. I do need to turn out my light right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting um, realization for sure. Hi there, it's Lara here. Wanted to take a quick break from the interview to invite you to my monthly online workshop series. It's designed to help you get out of your own way and make being healthy feel easy and intuitive instead of stressful and overwhelming. And it's totally free. So consider this your personal invitation to join in. Up next on Friday, October 26th is Keep Calm and Eat On, Six Steps to Enjoy the Holidays Without Food Stress or Guilt. It's one of my favorite workshops, and this is the first time I've offered it in a couple of years, just in time for the beginning of sugar season with Halloween. Visit laradolch.com slash workshops to save your spot for this and future workshops. That's laradolch.com slash workshops. A lot of my listeners travel for work and, um, and, and for pleasure as well. Do you have any tips for staying healthy on the road? Yeah, I was just thinking about that, how travel can mess up sleep so much. So... For me, I don't know. You know, I try to build in, first of all, the first thing I do is I always try to build in recovery time, especially after a trip, if I can. I know we can't always do that, but I have learned my lesson as I've gotten older. I don't tell people if I come back on, you know, November 5th, as far as everybody else knows, I'm returning November 6th because I know I need to like completely not be available for anyone so that I can focus on getting my rest figured out. But I definitely utilize tools like melatonin, um, to reset my clock, you know, especially going over, going abroad somewhere in the jet lag and all of that. I've tried some of those naturopathic jet lag pills. I'm not sure if they work, but I like to think they do. I'll try anything. Well, you know. And sometimes <laughs> placebo is 
Exactly. Hey, I don't care why it works as long as it works. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, I'm taking this little pill every two minutes on the plane. It's going to help me. I also definitely do all those things that people recommend, like stay really hydrated on the plane. I try to drink a ton of water while I'm flying. Another trick that often isn't mentioned is wearing earplugs mm-hmm. while you're on a plane because the sound does wear on you and makes you more fatigued. So I have earplugs or my, you know, noise canceling earbuds in if I'm listening to music, but I always have those like the whole time. You know, it's not uncommon for my husband and I to be like, what, what'd you say? You know, we can hardly talk to each other on the plane because we both have earplugs in, but I do that. And I also definitely, when I arrive somewhere, try to take a little nap. I think the whole powering through to, you know, just whatever. I don't really like that. Also red eyes. Well, obviously you have to do red eyes when you fly internationally, but I've tried recently to do a red eye to New York. I'm not doing that anymore. Like that oh, just, yeah, no, that's the worst. Know. Yeah. Like that is not okay. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself when it's only a six or five hour flight? This isn't, <laughs> this isn't good. And then eating well, you know, I just actually published an article. Uh, it was a guest writer, Mary Purdy, who wrote on my, my blog, great article. She's a dietitian about eating healthily. And I thought I knew every, I was like, oh, I travel. I know everything. I've got all my tricks. But I was like, whoa, she had a lot of great links to great foods and proteins to eat while you're traveling and just really good stuff. So, you know, that intake of food makes a big difference and it can feel hard. I'm a gluten-free uh, traveler. So, you know, I can have some challenges while I'm traveling around that. I try really hard to make sure that I'm going to be okay with my food because that affects how I feel when I travel. Yeah. How do you do that? Especially with a restriction like that? Well, I pack a lot of snacks. Um, Definitely always have power bars and nuts and things like that. I definitely research before I travel. You know, I try to stay in places where there'll be grocery stores around me so that I can go and buy some things for myself. I have been known to travel with a loaf of bread um, in my bag, you know, (laughs) gluten-free bread, so that I have it for breakfast the next morning, that first day when you're so confused about where everything is, you know, I just have something for breakfast the next day at least. And I do try to learn words that I need to know in a language that, you know, say that I'm gluten-free or at least have someone write it down on a piece of paper. I was a little bit surprised in Tokyo. I don't know why I assumed they would have tamari because I can't eat soy sauce because the second ingredient is wheat. That is not the case. They were like, what? In Japan, they could not accommodate me almost at all. So next time I will be packing a bottle of tamari. Um, but I did learn some other ways that you can eat sushi without soy sauce. Like, That's interesting. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have necessarily expected that either. I mean, tamari is kind of my default. I'm not gluten-free, but it's just, I don't know. I don't know why. I've just been buying it for years. But that is a little bit surprising. Yeah. Although I guess given that, you know, soy is, as you said, traditionally made with wheat and, you know. Yeah traditional, right? In Tokyo. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, that was a bit of a surprise, but yeah, I just try to plan ahead a little bit more. And, um, and then of course, and I'm, you know, pleasantly surprised, like in the UK, the last time I went was just so easy to eat gluten-free. It was great. Everything's labeled, you know, it's just really wonderful. So for sure. Yeah. Is there, so besides sleep, which we've already established is, you know, super important for both of us. <laughs> Is there another sort of self-care decision that you've made recently, you know, something that you chose to do that disproportionately affected your well-being, like something that maybe even surprised you about how impactful it was, either positive or negative? Hmm, Interesting. So yeah, aside from sleep, well, I also, let me see, I don't know if it's like disproportionately, but I do meditate. I try to meditate daily and that does really help. 
and not exactly for the reasons I think a lot of people think about meditation. Like it's not because I get more calm and peaceful. It's because it's a reminder that I can move into the present. It's just reminding me. It's like a muscle, like you work out, you know, it's like, oh yeah, the muscle of returning to the moment, that option, just remembering I have that option because yeah. a lot of overwhelm and feelings of stress really are me thinking about the future or what I haven't done in the past. So if I can, you know, reorient to the idea that, okay, wait, 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 what can I just do right now? Like what is happening right now? Am I okay? Do I have a full belly because I'm able to eat? Is there like a roof over my head? Is there any crisis, actual natural disaster happening around me? No. Oh, you know, so if I can like drop into the moment, I tend to manage better. So I think I sometimes forget how much meditation does that for me. Give me that reference point of the option of being in the moment. So that has always been a great tool when I remember to use it. And I have had runs where, you know, I was meditating every day for over a year. And then I'll have times where it's like, whoops, I don't think I've meditated for four weeks or whatever, you know, it's like, what happened to that practice? So, you know, it flexes, but that is a big one for me and makes a big difference when I remember to do it. Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad you said that about it being a muscle that, you know, because that's, that's a, an analogy that I've used with clients a lot who struggle with meditation initially, because it can be a challenge like anything, you know, when you're creating a new habit and just the reminder that, yeah, it's like a muscle and that the more you do it, the more to your point, the more able you are to come back into the present moment more quickly. It's, it's much less of a struggle when you, right. when you have that sort of practice for sure. So I have to ask, because I know that um, there are some listeners who are wondering, what's your number one tip? for aspiring travel hackers? Oh, wow. Number one tip. Hmm. So, well, I think the big thing is, well, I do it with credit card signup bonuses. And I think the number one thing is remembering that basically I have a lot of people come up to me and say, oh yeah, I do that. I put everything on one credit card. I have my like Alaska Airlines credit card. I get every everything I can I put on there. And so... I'm doing what you're doing. And I'm, I always kind of say, actually, no, because you're missing out on all the signup bonuses. And so for the same amount that you put on that one card all year, which maybe let's say $20,000 or something over the entire course of the year, that's not, that's about a ticket round trip ticket domestic, but you could take that same $20,000 and turn it into wow, like 500,000 miles instead. So the trick is in opening new cards. And, you know, that's my number one tip is to think bigger than just one travel credit card. Yeah. Which might seem obvious, but for a lot of people, they're like, really? Like they just hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, I don't think it's obvious to everyone for sure. Yeah. And I don't actually listen to you say that. I don't do it as often as I should, you know? And so, um, so thank you because now you've just reminded me that I need to take better advantage of that sort of thing. So what's next for you? What are you excited about? Well, I'm really excited about my Jet Set Lizette business. I am really excited about helping other people travel more and my podcast has been getting a lot of positive feedback. I'm having a great time interviewing women who have found really creative ways to travel more. And honestly, I'm interviewing them because I want to travel more, even though people say, well, you are traveling a ton. Well, I want to travel longer and I want to live somewhere for a year, you know, live abroad somewhere for a year, like I did way back when I was 19. And you know, I'm just excited about everything I'm hearing from these women, all the ideas I'm getting and the bonuses because I'm doing the podcast, other people are getting to hear about those ideas. And I'm thrilled that it's resonating with other women. 
So it's just really a fun adventure, even though, yes, I do struggle with how to fit it all in with my other business and my other work. I'm not going to give up on it because I'm just amazed at what's happening with it. And I'm also excited that I'm going to Brazil in a few weeks, in about six weeks. Okay. I'm going to go be on my favorite island eating mokeka in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. I love it. Well, and I love that really the core of what you're doing is, you know, you're opening up the world for people and I, I you know, and, and, and allowing them to access all these benefits that we were talking about earlier about being present and just exploring other cultures and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I just want to acknowledge you for that because I think your work is about a lot more than just like travel, you know, and the logistics of travel, obviously it's, it's, um, yeah, it's really cool what you do. Where can people learn more about you and find more about your work? Yeah, so Jet Set Lizette is jetsetlizette.com and Lizette is spelled L-I-S-E-T-T-E. So even though it sounds like a Z, it is an S. And there you can you know get information about the podcast and also information about how to work with me as a travel coach because I don't just... I can help people earn miles and points, but I also... I'm now starting to help people book award travel and just help them with that mindset of traveling more because a lot of people have fears around travel and don't know where to start. So I'm offering quite a bit of things there. And uh, there's also a link from that website to my web design business if you need a website. (laughs) (laughs) Renaissance woman, I love it. That's great. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lizette. This was so fun. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you today. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauridolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Music